Please take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. I want to say that I am thankful for you as a church family, because after all, you are my job security. Without you, there is no me, <laughs> as far as co-pastor goes, but I'm thankful for y'all. Y'all have always been kind to me, and even in this, uh, I, let's just be, call it what it is, uh, time of transition, if you will, or just even the fact that I'm a young man in the in the pastorate role. I appreciate your willingness to listen, even though sometimes you probably don't agree. Most of the time, I probably annoy you to death. I'm thankful for you listening, and uh, I'm just trying to do my very best that I know the Lord would want me to do, and I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the kindness that you showed my family, my wife coming from North Carolina, very, very different, very odd almost special would be the word I would use, um, but you've been kind to her to accept her into this church family, and now when we talk about her church in North Carolina, we call it her parents' church, because this is her church, and I'm thankful for y'all making that transition easy, and I'm thankful for every nursery worker who watches my daughter, because it gives us a break, Amen. Uh, Amy was thinking about staying home tonight. She's not feeling very well. She said, oh, I'm just going to go. That way I can just give Caitlin to the nursery workers. <laughs> something like that. She said something like that. I, I may have added a few words here or there, you know, give or take a little bit. But uh, I, I just want to talk to you briefly tonight. We won't be very long. Exodus chapter 32. A very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, now, last week, last Sunday morning, I really, my goal was not at all to speak on stewardship, to speak on giving it all. I wanted to start the new year off the best way that I knew how, and that was preaching on Jesus. That's the best topic to ever preach on, uh, and I feel like probably when preachers don't mention him or uh, preach on him, it's probably a mistake. But uh, uh, So I wanted to start it with the Lamb of God last week, but tonight... I do want to speak to you briefly on this idea of giving and whether it be, you know, that's the hardest thing as a preacher to um, relay to you is that when we mention giving, it is not about monetary funds and it's not about your financial status. Giving is about you. I mean, there's a vein connected to the wallet. It runs directly to your heart. And so as we speak of giving, and often we mention money, we're not asking you to give your money. We're asking you to give your heart, which directly is linked to your money. And so uh, I do want to speak tonight on this idea of giving. I'll reveal to you in just a little moment, or in just a few moments, uh, the name of the sermon. But Exodus chapter 32, verse number 1, we find probably one of the saddest days in the nation of Israel's history. The Bible says in verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. And just by saying that, they have indicted their lack of faith. They have shown you exactly who they credited with their deliverance from Egypt. They said, as for this man, Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, wait, 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 wait. 
Moses is just a tool. Moses was just an instrument that God used. You're already off track, Israel. And so you see, they, they say, as for this man, Moses, uh, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your, the ears of your wives and of your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. If you will, please skip on down to verse 19. We'll continue reading. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that's Moses, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not thy... Uh, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I, notice this, this is so sad. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf almost like it had a deistic nature. And what a sad thing that is for a leader in Israel to say. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Let's have a word of prayer. Ask the Lord's blessing upon the service and the sermon, and then we'll continue. Father, I pray tonight that you do a work in our hearts. Lord, we won't be long, but I believe you can be effective. I believe that your word can speak to hearts. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would work in my heart, that I would not say anything that I am not already willing to give you. Lord, that I would not be a man who preaches to other, and then because of my own unwillingness to follow, then I would become a castaway. Father, I pray tonight that I would be a man that was willing to apply my life to these principles, but as I preach these and as I speak from your word, I pray that they would be quick and powerful to every heart. I pray that people would be willing to receive the message, not from me, but from the very word of God and from the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray tonight that you do a work in our presence and in our heart and in our lives. I pray that you do this in the name of your Son. Amen. Let me ask you a quick question. 
just to spark a little thought before we begin. What was Israel doing before we find them here? They were in Egypt, a slave nation. Now, where did they get this gold? I mean, how all of a sudden are they so wealthy? How all of a sudden do they have so much stuff that they can just cast it into this big offering, if you will? It is a blessing. But it was not a blessing brought on by some calf or by some uh, uh, four-legged creature. It was a blessing straight from the hand of God. And because of their misuse and because of their abuse, you know what takes place? God's blessing is turned into dust. I want to talk to you tonight about this. Three ways to turn God's blessings into dust. Now, when I was younger, Christmas to me was all about receiving presents. And now that I'm older, I realize that in my younger years, I was right. It's all about getting presents, is it not? And we can talk about the giving Christmas season. And I'm thankful that God came to to this earth and gave his son. But let's be honest, when we go to our family Christmas, we're looking forward to seeing what we get or we're looking forward to what... This is a new experience for me. We're looking forward to see what our children get. We're looking forward to watch them play with the boxes as as if it's this really expensive toy and then take the toy and beat it on the table as if that was its original function and purpose was to make noise as it hit against another solid object. That's what my daughter does anyway. But uh, we... I remember when I was younger being so enthusiastic when it came to the creation of my Christmas list. I'm talking about I didn't go halfway with this. I went all the way with it. Back before computers were really uh, where they are now, even back then what I would do is I would go into programs and I would list out the item that I wanted and copy and paste a picture directly beside the item. And even if I did not do that, I would go through the Cabela's magazine, amen, gentlemen, amen. I would go through Cabela's magazine and literally cut and paste. And you say, what do you mean? I mean, I literally cut out the form of a tree stand or a deer decoy, and I pasted that on a piece of paper and said, give that to Santa, see if he can mess that up. I mean, I was so excited about it. I remember the days leading up to Christmas, how excited and anxious I was for some of my bigger Christmas gifts. That was always my strategy. Don't give me 20 insignificant gifts. Give me one really awesome gift that's going to blow my face off because it's so awesome. You say, well, that's bad terminology because you like guns. Well, maybe. I did receive a gun as a small child. That was one of my really awesome gifts. I remember one year I received... Uh, a Nintendo 64, and uh, I loved it, man, and I don't want to get too far into this because this is another sermon illustration for another time, but I knew before Christmas that I was getting that, maybe because Mandy was on an exploratory adventure one day and found where Santa had shipped them from the North Pole early, and so we found those uh, Kohl's bags and uh, Walmart bags that Santa sent them in. And so, man, I was just so excited. And I remember getting that Nintendo 64. I remember 
The first game I plugged in was a game called Star Fox. You say, that sounds retarded. It was, and it was so awesome. Uh, I remember getting Super Smash Brothers. I played that Nintendo 64 probably way more than I should have. Should have probably been studying the Bible or like helping an elderly woman across the road. But no, I was playing video games, and I loved every moment of it. As I got older, I began to more strategically ask for items, and I remember I got... I was in high school, and I wanted a video camera. And uh, video cameras were very expensive. And I guess now that they put them in cell phones, they kind of their value has gone down a little bit. But I remember looking at video cameras, and they were, used to be huge. And, and I wanted one. And so I wanted one of the small Sony Handycams. I put that on my Christmas list, and I got that thing. I tell you what, it was one of the coolest things. I'd take it hunting, and I would record things. And I'd bring them back and show people, hey, this is what I saw. It, just some of the coolest Christmas presents ever. Do you, do you have some of those in your mind? Christmas presents that were like just the greatest thing that you'd ever received up until that date in your life. It was just blew your mind. Let me, have, let's, let me ask you a question. Where's that item now? I mean, I literally, and I wish I could find it. I don't know where my Nintendo 64 is. I wish I could find it because my kids in my youth department think they can beat me at those games. <laughs> I'd be like, no, nah, I've been around the barn way more times than you have. I promise you can't beat me at that game. And uh, I, I actually proved that to some of my guys the other day, but I, I have no clue where that system is. I do know where my video camera is. It's in the floor of my garage in a case, kind of sitting on a dirty floor, uh, and I haven't touched it in the last five years. Isn't that the way that we kind of treat things? We, we're just so excited when we first get them. It's like the greatest thing we've ever received, and we use it, and then we begin to abuse it and maybe neglect even the fact that we have it. And I can admit to you today that in my life, I have prayed for God's blessings and said, God, I need this. God, I want this in my life. God, I, I want to see a miracle. And then when I got it, I probably didn't appreciate, appreciate it like I should have. I want to talk to you today about ways that we can turn God's blessings into dust. First of all, I want you to notice in verse number one, it's when we have a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment. Verse number one, the Bible says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. Now in this verse, there is so much preaching and so many things about a faithless people. For instance, Just the fact that this people saw Moses leave camp and go into the cloud of God on the mountain there, knowing that he was meeting with God, and then at one point beginning to wonder, huh, I wonder if the same God who's feeding us daily, the same God who's directed us daily through a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, I wonder if that same God who brought us out of the land of Egypt is just going to desert us now. What a sad state that they find themselves in, not being willing to trust a God who delivered them from the superpower nation of the day. What a sad thing. 
But if you look at that, you can't help but see a lack of commitment that they show. A willingness to change just at any cause, just because they don't feel like waiting on God anymore. Because isn't that really what's going on? You see, they're at the base of this mountain waiting on Moses. They've received instructions to wait, and believe me, they're not starving. God's taking care of every single need that they have. There's no reason for them to be in a rush. But they get tired of waiting on God. And so they say, Aaron, why don't you go make us a God that will lead us from this point on? What a shame. They show a lack of commitment. I want you to notice, first of all, it was not a personal commitment. Up until this point, Moses has been their leader. Up until this point, Moses has been the one receiving instructions and giving instructions. And very similar to how we would walk a dog in the park, that is almost how Moses has had to lead them out of the nation of Israel, or out of the nation of Egypt. He's tried every way. They get to the Red Sea. God's already done miracle after miracle after miracle. They get to the Red Sea. And Moses stands up and everybody says, Moses, why did you even bring us here? And Moses says, wait, 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 just, and he has to say these words, stand still, just be quiet and you'll see God do something great. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord is what Moses says. And almost like he's baiting them to follow God, but they didn't have their own personal commitment. That's the reason it was easy for them to swap. It was easy for them to switch because they had no commitment holding them or uh, commitment that would restrict them from wavering at all. It wasn't a personal commitment. During this month, my goal, and I know that our senior pastor's goal, is not to get you to tithe because we think tithing is the right thing to do. If you come out of this month simply tithing because you want pastor to see your name in the offering, I tell you what, that's a dumb thing to do because he don't ever look at the offering. You ought not be committed to your God because I or our pastor is committed to God. It is your obligation, but not even that. It is your privilege to walk with God personally. It's something that's intimate, far more deep than what, what uh, some others have with their God, what their God won't even give them the time of day. God looks for you to give Him any part of your day. And yet, Israel couldn't see that. And they didn't have a personal commitment because they didn't have a permanent commitment. That's why Moses, at the end of our chapter, at the end of our reading, he looks up and he says... Is there anyone going to stand up for God? Is there anyone that's on the Lord's side? Look in verse 26. He says, who is on the Lord's side? It reminds me of what Joshua says as he dealt with the same group of people that Moses is dealing with now. As he's about to leave the nation of Israel, he says, you know what you need to do? You need to choose. And once you choose, you don't need to go back. Choose this day whom you will serve. What a sad thing it is how we choose and then go back on our words so often. I tell you what, going to youth camp is one of the funnest things that I do all year long. I look forward to it. 
because I get paid overtime, obviously. I love going to youth camp. I love being around the teenagers. Uh, it's a great time. But I'll tell you one of the saddest things is seeing decisions made and hoping that they're not going to be a run-of-the-mill decision. Hoping that there's going to be a little bit of stick to to it. Just, and you want to take your arm around the kid and say, don't even make this decision if you're not willing to stick to it. I don't want to come back from youth camp and see a choir loft full of kids who are in tears and wiping mascara on their shirt just so that a week later we look like we did before we even left. That's not my goal. But often that's very reflective of our commitment to God, is it not? It's us making decisions and us making pacts with our Lord saying, God, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. And then just a week later it's like, well, God, I'm not sure if that's really what I need to do. We have no commitment. And one surefire way to take advantage of God's blessings in our life is to show a wobbly commitment. God wants you to choose. God says, I would rather you be cold. I would rather you be hot. But don't be lukewarm because when you're lukewarm, I will, and I quote, spew you out of my mouth. He says when we are lukewarm, we make him nauseous. Because of our unwillingness to commit. Man, I just believe one surefire way to turn God's blessings into dust is a lack of commitment. I think the hymn writer had it right when he said, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then he says this, Take my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You see, what we need to do tonight is if we realize that sometimes we're a little hypocritical with our decisions or we're a little wobbly when it comes to our commitment, we ought to come to an altar and say, God, I ask for your assistance. I ask for your help. God, I pray tonight that you would seal what I have dedicated to you. And I hope that being a steward of God's money is that. I hope that that is something that you will not only commit to in this uh, campaign, but you will also practice in perpetuity. You'll not go back on it. What a silly thing to vow a vow before God and then to go back on it. I'm glad he didn't do that with my salvation, amen? What a sad thing if I open my Bible tomorrow and John 3.16 wasn't there. John 10 wasn't there. Oh, I know my sheep and my sheep are known of me. Uh, my Father which giveth me is greater than, than all. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. What if I opened up John chapter 10 and it just wasn't there anymore? That's the way our commitment is sometimes. Not only a lack of commitment, I want you to notice this, a loss of appreciation. A loss of appreciation. Now look in verse number 2. They're forcing Aaron, who is the brother of Moses, he is actually older than Moses. He was 83 years old when they entered in to speak to Pharaoh, and Moses was 80. So for a long time, I was under the impression that Aaron was just a young man at this point, but in reality, he could have stood up and stood his own ground just like Moses would have. But they were lacking some leadership now. They come to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we need some gods to lead us. Verse number 2, And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. 
And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. I want, to, I want you to take your Bible to Exodus chapter 12. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to think that I'm just telling you that this gold or this special uh, stuff was a uh, blessing from God. I want you to take the Bible's word for it. Exodus chapter 12. Verse 31 begins to tell us exactly what takes place after the tenth plague of Egypt. God places the plague upon Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh is very upset. There's a, in verse 30, you can see there's a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. This is immediately on the heels of the tenth plague. Verse 31, the Bible says, And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. Now notice verse 33. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We be all, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. Now notice, notice this is very important. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required. Now notice this. And they spoiled the Egyptians. Now I don't know how I would feel about a slave nation who has been working for us for all these many years. I'm not quite sure how I would feel if they came into my land and and, and uh, one day, because of their presence in, their, in my land, bad things began to happen to me. I mean, bad things, right? Things like uh, 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 burning, uh, 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 burning rocks falling from heaven, burning hail fire. I'm not sure how I would feel about that. I'm not sure how I'd feel about my cattle getting uh, diseased because of this people in my land. I'm not sure but I probably would not favor them. Amen? Could you understand that, is it not a little odd that as ten plagues have happened to the Egyptians now, the tenth one being quite catastrophic, would you agree? Could you imagine you then being able to favor them as they leave? Is that not odd? God blessed the nation of Israel... And despite what he had done unto Egypt, God gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that as Israel left, they said, here, take this. Now, we're pretty familiar with the term spoil, are we not? We're pretty familiar. We know what that is. That's when somebody goes in and conquers another land or a kingdom or a nation, and they spoil them. In other words, they take what they think is good and leave everything else destroyed. They spoiled them. Is it not amazing that the children of Israel conquered this nation and spoiled this nation 
and never raised one finger on a sword. Is it not amazing that without shooting an arrow, they defeated the power of the day? Who did that? It wasn't Moses going in with a staff threatening Pharaoh. No, it was God's blessing upon a nation. And because of God's blessing, they were able to receive all of this silver and all of this gold and all this raiment, all the blessings of, the e- of Egypt that they had to offer. God blessed Israel. Now in Exodus chapter 32, Aaron says, you want a God? Okay. Give me the gold that you've been wearing. Give me the gold that God gave you when you didn't deserve it. Give me the gold that you did nothing for and somehow the Egyptians just handed it over to you. Give me that gold. Is it not sad that they were so unappreciative of God's doing in their own life that they just take it and say, okay, yeah, take it and make another God with it. You know, like gold and like diamonds, gratitude finds its value in the rarity of it. The reason gratitude is so amazing when you receive it is because nobody's willing to offer it. The other day, I was in a truck with three guys, and this was when the weather was really bad, and the roads are very icy, and it had been ice for basically two days. And, uh, we, in fact, slid twice. We had a trailer on, and one time, I, I legitimately thought we were going to go through a fence. It was very scary. On our way out to the ranch, we got past Cisco there, and, and traffic backed up so bad for so long, there was no accidents. It was just the bridges were so bad that the semi-trucks couldn't get across them. Traffic was so bad that people were beginning to go off of the main highway, get in the, I guess it's not technically the median, but you all understand the, the bit between the frontage road. People were getting off of the interstate and going through the snowy covered grass and getting onto the frontage road so they could drive faster than everybody else. Now, I won't tell you if I did that or not because I was in my dad's truck. But uh, as we were driving up the road, we noticed that there was a minivan just stuck there. And their tires were spinning. I know it's a shocker that a minivan would get stuck in an icy median. But, uh, so me and these three other guys, we are the only people that stop and help this person. Because it's like 25 degrees outside. It's freezing. The, uh, it, it's, the road was so slick that we were driving on, we all almost slipped as we walked across the road. Well, we go over, and the guy didn't ask us to. He didn't flag us down or anything, but we just said, I remember one of the guys in the truck saying this. I said, guys, do you think we ought to help him? And he said, if it was me, I'd want them to help me. I said, okay. So we stopped. We parked, and we have a trailer on all these other trucks, all these other people pulling by. We got a trailer on us, and we pull over. We get behind that minivan, and three of us begin to push. We needed a supervisor, so JT stood off to the side. But uh, uh, we're all pushing, we're pushing, and we finally get the vehicle moving. We get it pushed up on the road. And I look up, expecting to hear a, thank you, or see somebody wave out of their window. Do you think that happened? No. 
And I did not pull over for a thanks. I pulled over because it's, well, somebody talked me into it. Thanks, JT. But I pulled over to help someone. I pulled over because what JT said was right. If it was me, I'd want somebody to help me. So by no means did I pull over for a thank you, but after we had done the work, I kind of expected one. I mean, it just seemed like the least they could do to offer some thanks for us freezing and us almost dying on the road there. It just seemed like the right thing to do. In light of that, doesn't it seem so silly how little appreciation we show for all of what God's done for us? I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure God just sits in heaven saying, I can't believe they don't see the blessings. I can't believe that out of all that I do for them, out of the fact that I'm constantly thinking about them and constantly caring for them and, and constantly watching them, out of all that I do for them, this is what they show me. So often we take God's blessings and we turn them into something that God's blessings ought not be. If your child is extremely good at athletics, man, I'm happy for you, but are you sure you're not taking your child's health and turning it into something that God never meant it to be? Man, I'm so glad that you have a good job. I'm so glad that you make money because at the end of the day, if you make money and you're tithing, you are the lifeblood of the operations of this church. So I'm so happy for your occupation. But are you sure that we haven't taken God's blessings and said, God, you've given me such a good career, but then we turn them into something God never wanted them to be? And we're no different than the children of Israel taking his blessings and turning them into our God. What a shame it is the appreciation we show him is not what he deserves. He deserves so much more and so much better. A loss of appreciation. You know, the Bible teaches us in James chapter 1, and you've heard this verse in Sunday school recently. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness. John chapter 3, verse 27, the Bible says this. John answered and said... A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Everything that we have, and I say even everything that we are, is only because of God. And we show him so little appreciation for that. Man, I I, I just believe that he deserves better. I believe with everything that he's given us, everything he's done for us, I mean, the fact that we live in the greatest country in the world, man, it's got its problems, but we don't, we're not living under the oppression of a rifle. We're not in fear tonight of somebody breaking in these doors and, and threatening us because we don't have right to worship our God. God's been so good to us, I just think sometimes we're not quite as good to Him. I want you to notice finally with me tonight, we're almost done. A labor of obligation. A labor of obligation. One surefire way to turn God's blessings into dust is when you have a labor of obligation. Look at verse number 6. Well, I'll say verse number 5. They've created the calf. They've seen it. They're excited about it. Verse 5, the Bible says, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation. And said, now I'd be honest with you, I don't know what Aaron's trying to do here. 
He is sending such mixed messages as far as a leader. I mean, the same guy who crafts the golden calf is the same guy who's now going to take a stand for God. It doesn't make any sense to me, but look in verse 5. Aaron made proclamation like a leader should make a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. In other words, Aaron looks at his calendar and sees that tomorrow was a scheduled feast. And he says, oh, I know we've made this calf. I know that we've probably done something that God is not at all pleased with. But tomorrow is a feast unto the Lord. So let's put this God to the side as we worship that God. And then when that's done, we'll worship this God. What a shame. It had become a labor. It had become something that they only did out of obligation. Is that how we treat our relationship with God? Is that how we treat our church attendance or how we put our check into the offering plate? Obligation? I want to ask you two questions, and you ask them to yourself and see if it's become obligation. First of all, is the reason you do what you do because it's scheduled? Because it's scheduled? That's why he did it. He looked up and said, oh, I forgot all about it. Tomorrow, tomorrow's a feast unto the Lord. Tomorrow's a feast unto the God of Israel. Now, we'll set aside some time for him, but right after that's done, we'll set aside time for our other thing. Why do you come to church on Sunday? Why, why are you here now? Is it just because it was scheduled? Is this because this is what your mom and dad has always done? Is it because this is just normal for you to be here? Now, I'm happy you're here, man. I'm, I'm excited. I told you, I'm thankful for you. But I hope that you're not here for anybody else but God. I hope you're here, not here because we just opened the doors and it was, seemed like the right thing to do. I hope you're here to receive something. I hope you're here because you know that as the Word of God is preached, you're willing to listen and willing to apply. I hope you're not just here because it's routine. That's why we go to work. We go to work because it's the clock. We punch the clock. Unless I've missed something, we've not installed any time clocks lately. The only attendance taken is in Sunday school, and then we guilt you in to come to that. That was kind of a joke. I just believe that we ought not do what we do as Christians out of obligation. We ought not do it because it's just the normal thing to do. It's just what we've always done. When I was younger... I remember getting my first summon to jury duty. That was a fun day. It really wasn't that big a deal because I was thinking, oh, I can figure out a way out of this. No big deal. I, I, I can, I'll get this summons in the mail. I'll tell them I'm a Baptist preacher, and they'll just... And that's what Dad said. He's like, you just tell them you're a Baptist preacher, and they'll let you off. So I went in that day expecting fully to be in there for about five minutes. I showed up at 9 o'clock in the room with the 200 other people there, and they began to call people out. I think Miss Joy Penny actually told him to pick me, to be honest with you. She said, that Andrew Wolfenberg, you can make him sitting there all day. What happened is there's 200 people there, and, and, and you go in there, and you show them that you're present. And then they call out, I think, 60 people out of the room to 
go and listen to some trial details, and then out of those 60 people, they ask you a ton of very monotonous, very uninformative questions. And then if you are one of the elect, I guess, I don't know, if you're one of the prime candidates to be a jury or a juror, you're selected into the 12. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm a Baptist preacher. They see that on my, uh, not application, but whatever you want to call it. They see that. There's no way they're going to select me. So they said, well, we're going to start calling the names. If your name's called, you stand up and walk to the side of the room, line up against this wall. And so I'm sitting there just not thinking anything about it. They said, juror, uh, I don't know how they said it. They said, juror number one, I think is what they said. They said, juror number one is Andrew Wolfenbarger. <laughs> what? Out of 60 people, not only do I get selected, I'm numero uno, Jack. I was like, what? I was so disappointed and really so surprised that this is how I stood up. I was sitting there not thinking I was getting selected, and then I go, what? And everybody in my section just laughed. They were like, that's exactly how we're all going to feel if we get selected. But I could not believe I got selected. Then I go into this room, and like I said, you have your defense attorney and your prosecuting attorney there, and, and they're giving you the, the trial details and once I sat in there, I'm like, man, I'm living like law and order out. I am like, this is awesome. And they're asking me all these questions. And, and I think some people were just lying to get out of it. Right? They're like, uh, is there any reason why you can't be here? Well, I had the chicken pox when I was younger. And I think I'm getting them again. That's literally impossible. You know that. Right? Well, I don't know. No, it's impossible. So... I just thought they were lying to get out. But once I was in the room of 60, I was like, man, this might actually be fun. And I heard them talking about the trial, and they were asking you questions like, could you consider the minimum uh, amount of punishment for this man if he is found guilty? Could you consider probation? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I could consider that. Uh, uh, could you consider 20 years in jail? Uh, and I'm like, for stealing a TV? That's pretty rough. 20 years for a TV? I mean, that's like, what, 300 bucks, 20 years? And, I, and everybody in there is like, yeah, I can do it. And I'm thinking, I don't know, 20 years is a lot. And so I answered them honestly. I'll be honest, I don't think I could send a guy to jail for 20 years for just stealing a TV. And so I think that's what probably disqualified me of the Baptist preacher thing, didn't. But we got all the way through the end. And I was very honest with my answers. I wasn't being like one of them other people that were just lying. I was honest. And I was thinking, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it. We get to the 12, and, or, or the selection of the 12. I've been there since like 9 o'clock. It's now 4.30 in the afternoon. I've heard this guy's name. I've heard exactly the circumstances surrounding the, the case. I've heard it all, man. I'm really intrigued about how this trial is going to go. Guess what? I didn't make the 12. And now I'm like, you wasted my whole day. Oh, it's okay, though. They paid me $1.38. So that was really good. Uh, I went and bought a soda and had to pay some of my own cash for that. I was like, what? That's crazy. Now if I ever get a jury summons, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be one of them lying people. I'm going to be like, my wife came down with the death. And so I... 
I don't want to do that ever again. I, I want no part of that. The only reason I went is because I had to go. Isn't that some way, sometimes the way we treat this whole Christianity thing? It's like we get out of bed on Sunday mornings. Oh, after such a long week of work, man, I just better go. Wait, wait. You understand Christ died for the church, right? You understand that a, a, a pastor stayed up all night long studying for his sermon. You understand that there's probably 15 to 30 hours of study involved in what your preacher is going to say in 35 minutes. He's prayed about it. He's fasted about it. You understand that there's been a lot of preparations going to church service, and you're going to come in these doors like this? Uh, I guess I just better go. Wait. You want to know why God never does anything in our hearts? Because our hearts are so sealed up with our own selfish priorities. God couldn't speak to us if He wanted to. Sometimes we just do it because it's scheduled. Secondly, I want to ask you this question. Is the reason you do what you do, is it special? Is it special? Now, I've given a lot of gifts in my life. I, I give Christmas presents, and I've always been one of those people who wanted to give a really good gift because I like seeing the reaction on the person's face. I'm, that, to me, is the ultimate. I like seeing their surprise. I like seeing the, the face that's like, man, this is exactly what I wanted. I love that. So I, I like giving gifts in that regard. But I'll be honest with you, my favorite gift I've ever given anybody was my, engage, my wife's engagement ring. And I told y'all the story of our engagement, so I won't go through all that again, but I remember telling, uh, we talked on the phone, and she was asking me to propose to her, which is weird, right? But when you're dating this, I guess you just, uh, Brother Marshall, you don't have to say anything now. I know it was on the tip of your tongue. That, hey, man, I don't even want to hear it. I just talk louder than you. I'm, I'm on a microphone. <laughs> I still can't hear you. You cupped your hand. Still not working. Technology's better. <laughs> okay. But uh, she, she was begging me. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And we literally got into a fight about, and like she was mad at me. We literally got into a fight about me not going to ask her on this break. So I thought, what better way to surprise her than actually doing it on the break that we just fought about not doing it on. So I went up to my brother's store. I, I got her a ring. I, I picked it out. She didn't have any input in the ring, none of that. I get to North Carolina, and we, we went and stayed in a beach house. The whole family went into a beach house. And so I, I was staying upstairs, and she was staying downstairs uh, closer to her parents. And it was me and her brother in that room, and she was downstairs. And, and uh, what I, what I, I got there, and I was unpacking my bag, and I specifically had placed the ring in the side pocket of my bag. And I pulled it out, and I said, I wonder if I should leave this in my bag. And I thought, no, I probably better move it and hide it. And so on the dresser there was this little seashell. I guess it's kind of like beach, you know, art, whatever. And so I take that ring. It was a fake lamp. It was not like a real seashell. So I guess that would be weird for me to describe it like that if it were really a beach seashell. But so I take it out of the bag and I put it inside that seashell. And I'm like, but she ain't never going to look. That's silly. Come to find out the broad went through my bag. <laughs> 
Are you kidding me? She's looking through my drawers, trying to find whether or not I'm going to propose on this break. I've already told her I'm not proposing on, and she later admits to me she went through my bag. Is that not crazy? If she had told me that then, I might not have ever given her the ring, so good thing you hid that. But I, So I, I remember Heidi, that's crazy. I couldn't believe that. I... We tried getting this perfect plan together. We were going to go eat a steak. We are going to go walk the beach at sunset because that's what sounded corny and romantic to me. And so I figured it would make her feel bubbly inside. I don't know. Because I couldn't have wine, so I had to do something else to make her feel bubbly inside. And so I had this plan, and I told you the story. It didn't work out, but ended up we were way late to the beach. It just didn't work out. It was completely pitch dark. I'm trying to stick my croc sandals in my pocket so I can hold her hand here and have the ring in this hand. So I end up sticking my sandals in my pants. Just the goofiest proposal ever. We finally walk to the beach where there's a clearing between me and the, the, the people around us. And so I take the ring and I, I get down on one knee and I say, Amy, will you marry me? And she goes, no. <sighs> I'm thinking, is that your answer? Because you were the one that asked me to propose. This was not even my idea. It was just such a, a strange thing. But I remember, even though I'm not a romantic guy, even though I'm not, I mean, I'm corny when it comes to telling jokes, but I'm not corny romantic. I don't like that bubbly stuff, you know. Flowers or for Valentine's Day, bell out, last-minute guy gifts, okay? I'm not into all that stuff, but I do remember when I went to get down on that knee, the anticipation that I looked for in her face. This was something that I only got to do once in my life, hopefully. <laughs> this was special. And even though I'm not the romantic guy, I got down on one knee and I opened that ring up and I looked in her face and I said, Amy, will you marry me? And even though her answer may have not been the, what I had always dreamed about since I was a little girl, <laughs> even though her answer was a little odd, I'll tell you what. That ought to be how we approach this Christian life thing. The reason we ought to come with a check in our hands, something that we've labored for all week long, something that we have put our blood, sweat, and tears in, something that God has blessed us with, the reason we ought to come and not just do it because it's scheduled, we ought to do it because it's special. And every time we go to place our check into that offering plate, or every time we go to tell somebody about God, or every time we go to open up our Bible, we ought to do it like this. God, this is for you. From the deepest depths of my heart, God, this is the very best of my obedience on display. So often, and, and even though we're obeying, we do it out of a heart of obligation. We just throw that check in like it's no big deal. If you study the Bible, offerings are and have always been a part of worship. It has always been something where a man or a family gives to God out of the very best that they have. 
saying to an almighty heavenly father, God, I'm doing this because I love you.